Ephesians chapter 4. This is part three of a series we're doing on becoming like Jesus, the full stature of Christ. Uh, we talked last week about needing the same heart attitude that Jesus has, and you're going to see as we move forward that that's essential. If we don't have the heart attitude, then everything we talk about gets distorted because we approach it with the wrong attitude. And so if you missed last week, let me encourage you to see if you can listen to that online. Is it, it is online, right? Yep. You can do that. Ephesians chapter 4. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us in truth. You're the one who exalts and glorifies Jesus. And so we ask that you have your way. Lord, we just stand humbled and amazed at your majesty that the King of Heaven laid down His life for us, that we could be redeemed and restored. Thank you. Speak to our hearts as only you can do. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. My uh, Bible has that last uh, two uh, scriptures in a parentheses. It's kind of like... Okay, this isn't the main point here, but it's still a good one. But since it's not the main point, I'm not going to talk about that this morning. So he gave gifts, and he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelism, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He gave gifts to the church to equip us and to build us up. Was that me? Did I? That wasn't me. I always like it to be me because I think I'm electrically charged or something. But <laughs> So I'm always slightly disappointed when it isn't. A couple of points I want to make there, and then we're going to get into, uh, over the next few weeks, what each one of these bring, brings. What does the apostle bring? What does the prophet bring? What does the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor? What is it, the gift that is imparted to the church? Uh, but in order to understand that, we've got to put aside a lot of our preconceived ideas and go back to what does the Bible actually say. We'll get to that in a second. But what it seems to say here is that something is imparted to each one of us by each of these gifts that equips us and builds us up. 
that we become like Jesus because the, the end of the goal is that we attain the full stature of Christ. So there's something of the apostolic that imparts something to every one of us. There's something of the prophetic that imparts something. Not just someone prophesying. We're talking about equipping and building up to be like Jesus. There's something of the teacher that imparts something to us that equips us and builds us up. There's something of the pastor that doesn't just care for us, but that imparts something that equips us and builds us up. And then there's something of the evangelist as well that imparts. So we're going to look at those over the next few weeks. But what I want you to see is that Jesus gives these gifts for that purpose. We all need all of them. Why do I say that? Because what you're going to find over the next few weeks is that some of us have a connection to different ones of them, maybe a little bit more than others. I call it a resonant frequency. So those of us, when the evangelist shares, everybody's equipped in something of a love for the lost, and we'll talk about that. But there's some people who just, they resonate with that. This is what church should be. And they just, while everyone's raised a little bit, they're just raised a lot. And they just go, yes, this is wonderful. We should have this person all the time. And then there's others. When the prophetic gift comes, there's something of all of us being raised in a love for the Spirit and hearing God's voice. But there's some who just resonate with that. And they say, this is what church should be. Why is it like this every week? Because Jesus gave a whole bunch of gifts. And the danger is that if we only focus on the ones we resonate with, we miss out. And we never become the full stature of Christ. Okay, so we need all of them. You've heard the illustration before. If you only have one, it's like the uh, bodybuilder who all he ever did was curls with his right arm. Pretty soon he had a huge right bicep. But the rest of his body... For those of you who are old enough, if you ever watched Rod Laver play tennis, he was described as a scrawny body hanging from a massive left forearm <laughs> because he just he started doing topspin and he had a huge forearm, but kind of like Popeye. <laughs> what what armed Popeye? So we need to rec recognize we need all the gifts. Now let me say this kind of in passing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand that there are still these gifts in the church today. But the thing is that the gifts that, that Jesus gives has got to see themselves as gifts to the church, not control over. There's a danger when we take something of a kingdom concept and we try and fit it into a, a worldly mentality, whether it's a hierarchy of structure and we take these gifts that are gifts and we make them some sort of hierarchy over people, we end up with problems. So we need to understand these in light of kingdom leadership and authority, which we've talked about at other times, and I'm not going to go into. If you have questions about that, talk to Tim. He'll be happy to explain it to you. <laughs> I, always, I always put Tim in it because... Oh, Steve. Steve's sitting over here too far. I couldn't see him. So I want to talk about apostles today. And I want to give you a whole bunch of scriptures to start with. You think I haven't, I haven't started yet. That was all just introduction to get to start. 
But I want to give you a number of scriptures because I want you to understand what the Bible says, and then I'll give you some points based on all those scriptures, okay? So we're going to start with uh, 1 Timothy 2, from 4 to 7, and it says this, uh, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Just over in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Back over to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and verse 8. Uh, I always struggle because I want to read three verses before and three verses after. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Two more. Back over to Colossians. Which is a little book that tries to hide there all the time. Colossians chapter 1. From verse 27, he said, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And then one more, Romans chapter 15. Sorry, I lost Romans. Paul writing toward the end of ministry, he says from verse 15, chapter 15, verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, and the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, but I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Illyricum is on the Adriatic on the east side of Greece way up north till close to Croatia. So Paul's talking about a long way that he, he went. Now, he's talking about the calling and the gifting of being an apostle. And that's what I want to touch on. The word apostle literally means one sent with a message. Okay? It doesn't mean someone who is the superintendent of a denomination or somebody who's over something. as one sent with a message. But from these... 
we can see, I think, three aspects that I want to talk about. I read all the scriptures. I'll refer to them. But I want you to kind of get the, the picture. The first one is that the focus is on Jesus. Did you catch that? You guys are smart. That I might preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's the center and the focus of creation. Colossians 1.16 says everything was made through him and for him. What does that mean? Sorry to tell you this. What it means is that you're not the center of creation. Oh. See, basic concept of our culture, humanism, is that you are. Everything revolves around you. Most of us as children, that's our perspective because when you're first born, you get all the, the cuddles and all the everything and everything, you cry and people come and uh, you get hungry and someone feeds you. And we have this idea that the world revolves around us. And most of us, as we grow older, realize that's not the case. Some of us haven't quite got there yet. Hopefully you will, if you haven't. But if Jesus is the center and the focus, I'm not. I exist for him, he doesn't exist for me. He's not the one who just exists to clean up my messes after me. He's not the guy who comes and carries my bags through life. He's actually the king who's in front and I'm following. Big difference. But if he's the center, not only am I not the center, but neither is the church. Now Jesus says he's building his church, but the church isn't the center of creation. Jesus is. We're not the focus. And just one other point, let me make, because we have some people in America who listen to these sermons. The, the nation is also not the center, if Jesus is. <laughs> now, why do I say that? Because there's a whole lot of people who have some sort of Christian patriotism tied together that the nation becomes more important than the kingdom. That's not the case. So the first aspect is that the focus is on Jesus, but the second aspect is, remember an apostle is one sent with a message, the message is the gospel. The good news that we can be reconciled to God. Now if we're going to come to the fullness of the statute of Christ, we need to recognize that our focus needs to be on Jesus, but we also need to recognize that we have a message which is the gospel. The message isn't how wonderful we are or how wonderful our church is or how wonderful our nation is. As wonderful as it is, the message is you can be recon reconciled to, to God in Christ. As we read in 1 Thessalonians, he was called to preach the gospel. We read in Romans 15, 19, that he preached the gospel of Jesus from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. The gospel of Christ. Not the gospel of Paul. 
not Paul's ministry, not the gospel of the church, but the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. You still with me? What is that gospel? It's very simple. We've all sinned, and sin separates us from God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again, and we can have a relationship with him. And there's no other way to God except Jesus. Now let me give you an illustration. Okay? Pretend this is God. You have to use your imagination here. Okay? Pretend this is you. I use my hands because they look kind of alike. Genesis says we're made in the image of God. It means we're not like, exactly like God, but there's something. So I use my hands. And we're made for a purpose, to have relationship. See, that's, that's why the hands work. Okay? But understand this. The relationship you have with God is that he's God and you're not. You don't have a relationship where he becomes your servant. I'm in charge, and I tell him what to do. Anything that makes you begin to believe that, you have to understand, is not the gospel. He's in charge. But something happened. The Bible says all of us have sinned, and sin has made a separation between us and God. So we can't have a relationship because of our sin. Now, there's a whole theological thing. I would love to go into that. It would take me too long. But the bottom line is that God's holy, and sin will not exist in his presence. If we come into his presence with sin, we actually will get consumed. So the result of that sin is that we are separate from God, but if we continue in that place of separation, we'll be separate from God for eternity. Which is hell. We often talk about hell as in all these uh, illustrations of fire and you know burning and all. And the Bible talks about those. But the bottom line is that you're separate from God forever. And He's revealed in His glory, and the whole creation will see, and you will continue to be separate from Him. That's hell. But the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, who was God, came and took our sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Why? So we could go to heaven someday? No. That's a byproduct. He took our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God so we can come back into relationship. You don't have to wait till heaven to come into the presence of God. Heaven's a byproduct. Heaven is mean in that relationship we'll continue with him forever. As opposed to if we continue in sin we'll be separate from him forever. Okay, too often we make it about the, the byproduct. But understand this. The Bible's very clear. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Part of the apostolic gift is make us recognize that the gospel is the means of salvation. It's nothing else. There's no other way. I'm going to tell you why that's important in a few minutes. Hopefully not too many few minutes. But there's a third aspect. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, 
has this amazing little statement. It says this. In the scriptures, foreseeing what God, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Did you know that the first expression of the gospel was to Abraham? It's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and it's quoted here. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. If you go back to Genesis, God says, in you, all the nations will be blessed. Why, why is that important? Because I want you to grasp this. At the heart of the gospel is the nations. Inherent in the very message of the gospel is the extension of the kingdom of Jesus Christ to every people and every tongue and every tribe and every nation. That's inherent in the gospel. You can't be infected with the gospel and miss that part. It's kind of part of the virus, if I could say it. I guess I shouldn't say the gospel's a virus, huh? <laughs> That's not what I mean. Matthew 28, 18 says, go make disciples of all nations. That's inherent in the understanding of the gospel. So the three aspects of the apostolic gift in the church is a focus on Jesus, the message of the gospel, and the nations. You still with me? So, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Or look at the screen, which is easier. From verse 15. Uh, sorry. I think I have the wrong... I think I have the wrong one. No, it's my problem is I'm probably looking in the wrong place. What did I say? Matthew twelve. And I said twelve fifteen. I have to do is find it. <laughs> okay. That's not the one I want. Someone will find it for me when I start talking about it, but it talks about, uh, you know, a tree by its fruit. Uh, and that you could tell a, pardon? Either make the tree good and the, the fruit good, or else make the tree evil and the fruit evil. Uh, out of the bonus art, yeah, that's not the one I'm looking for, but that's probably why I have this down here, because I thought it was that. Somebody will find it. 
Talks about false prophets. You know them by their by their fruit. There you go. That's what it was. Thank you. Matthew seven fifteen. Who's who who found that? <laughs> Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Thank you. Makes you find it. Over in 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, the same concept is thrown in there, and I just want you to see it because I want to make some comments about it. Uh, verse 1, Oh, that you would bear with me a little uh, folly, and indeed you do bear with me. I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of, of Christ. Bottom line is, how do you tell? What's the fruit of an apostolic gift to the church? Apostle isn't someone who has a business card that says apostle. Mary and I lived in Melbourne for uh, a number of years, planted church, went back to the States, and shortly after being there, somebody actually handed me a business card, and it said who they were, and they were an apostle. Let me tell you, if you have to tell people you're an apostle, you're not. They'll tell you. Now, that probably applies to almost every gifting. There's something that's happened in the body of Christ where people are marketing themselves. We're marketing the gospel. We're marketing ministry. And we're trying to convince people that we're something. But the bottom line is the Bible says you'll know them by the fruit. What's the fruit of the apostolic gift in the church? If someone who is apostolic comes in and ministers in our church, what is the fruit that we will see? Three things. One, a greater love and appreciation of Jesus. Duh, it's all about Jesus. Two, a conviction and confidence in the gospel as the way to God. There seems to be something that's happened in the church where, where the church has replaced the gospel. Come to church and everything will be better. Come to church. We've got the answers. If you came expecting that, let me uh, set you free. We, we don't have the answers. Jesus does. Well, we have the answers. Jesus. <laughs> okay? But the church is made up of people. People being restored, but still imperfect people. If you're expecting 
perfection out of the people in the church, you're going to be highly disappointed. Many of you probably have been. And if you haven't been yet, you will be. We do a uh, added to the church uh, class opportunity for people to ask questions occasionally, and we do it at our house because uh, pastors are taught never have people in your home because they'll see what you're really like and they'll be disappointed. So we want you to come to our house and get disappointed right up front (laughs) so you don't waste your time. You don't have to be here for a number of months before you get disappointed. Uh, We want you to see what we're we're really like. We're just normal people. Uh, Transformed by by God. So it's the gospel is the way to God. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And thirdly, the fruit of apostolic gift to the church is an enlarged vision for the kingdom. If you find yourself as a result of a gifted ministry ministering, you find yourself more in love with Jesus, more convinced of the gospel, and with a greater vision for the kingdom extension throughout the earth, maybe that person's an apostolic gift. We relate to a team of what we believe are Ephesians for gifts, but we're very careful not to put titles. Okay, as soon as you call someone a prophet... You're recognizing something there, but you might also be limiting them. Because they might actually be much more than that. It's kind of like the uh, activate class, moving in the manifestations of the Spirit. We call them manifestations of the Spirit, not gifts, because many of us were taught that you find out what your gift is, but then that's basically all you ever get to use. And there's eight others that the Holy Spirit can manifest through you, and you could actually be used in all of them. Well, it's the same thing. When we start putting titles on, what's the title? Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our faith. We don't need to be identifying who's the apostle, but I think Tim's the apostle. (laughs) Why? Because we we tend to think hierarchically. Now, we're going to see next week why 1 Corinthians 12 says he gave first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, in helps and miracles and different things. It's not a hierarchy, it's a progression. In the church being established, the very first thing needed is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Add to that hearing God and, and the love for the Holy Spirit. Add to that the authority of the Word. It's not a hierarchy. So when some guy in America writes a book that says there are vertical apostles and horizontal apostles, I'm going to tell you, it's not in the Bible. It's trying to take something in the Bible and fit it into a hierarchical worldly concept. I'm getting sidetracked. (laughs) The fruit of the apostolic is the centrality of the king and the extension of his kingdom. It's that simple. If we're going to become like Jesus, that's got to be our focus. The centrality of the king and the extension of his kingdom. That changes how we look at everything else. 
and we're going to see, the pastoral gift is teaching us a love for one another and covenant relationships, but that's got to be seen in light of the kingdom and the extension of the kingdom. We don't get healed just so that we're happy. We get healed so that we can be effective in extending the kingdom. It changes how we look at things. If we don't see it in that context, then we take those and we make it the, the whole f- focus, and then we become a pastoral-centered church. It's all about us getting healed, getting restored, and we become navel gazers, and it's, we're, we're always, just get healed, and then get, get back in the game. I watched the, the Burke boys play, and Josh at one point, I could see way across the field that he got injured. Well, I wasn't sure if he had a cramp or something, but he got up and he, he started hobbling and he hobbled all the way off the field. You know, that field is huge. You sit on this side, it's hard to see what's happening on the other side. But he goes off the field and then they work on his leg and then he comes back on. He went off the field to get healed, to get worked on, so he could get back in the game. It wasn't like, okay, now, let's, just, let's just fix you up. And we're constantly fixing you up. We're a kingdom of priests becoming like Jesus to extend his kingdom. You still with me? So, after all that, what does that mean for us today? It means first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus, you need to meet him. He's what this is all about. He's who we worship. He's the focus of our time together. He's the head of the church. He's the redeemer. He's the one who saves us. If you don't know him, none of this will make any sense until you meet him. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. But maybe you've met Jesus, but you've got your focus off of him. Maybe you've got your focus onto something else. Maybe it's the hurt that you received. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's family. Because I want to tell you, you need to be aware of the lies of our culture. Family is not the center of the universe. It's wonderful. God's given us a gift, but Jesus is the center of the universe. My family exists to serve him. Because I was called to serve him before we had a family. But if you got your eyes off of him, I want to encourage you, just get your focus back onto Jesus. If you got your focus on the church, if you got your focus on a ministry, your ministry, or someone else's ministry, and that's become the focus. Just make the adjustment and get your eyes back on Jesus. And then lastly, allow him to enlarge you in vision. See, he's extending his kingdom. Every nation. And as amazing as it sounds, he actually wants to use you. What? I've never been out of Launceston. It's about time. Now, we're going to talk over the next few weeks about what that looks like because it's not what we traditionally think. 
I think the, uh, the traditional missionary concept is slowly changing, where often we sent people to nations that had no expression of the gospel and no church. There's very few of those places. There's still quite a few, but often we're going alongside churches and encouraging them and, and helping assist them to impact the culture or the nation in which they live. So it's a little bit different. So for those of you who said, I'll do anything except be a missionary, let me set you free. You might not have to go live in China for the rest of your life. You might just have to go for a few weeks. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Would you stand with me? If you haven't met Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. I'm going to invite you in a moment as we're dismissed to come up to the front here and there'd be some people who'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If your focus has gotten off Jesus and you'd like someone to pray with you, there'd be some folks who'd love to. If you need prayer for anything else, if God's speaking something into your heart, then uh, we'd love to pray with you. you. We don't have to have us pray with you. Okay? It's not our prayers that does something. It's Jesus. <laughs> but sometimes it's good having him pray. Having others pray with you. Would you just bow your head? Holy Spirit, you're working in us to equip us and to build us up for the extension of the kingdom and until we become the full stature of Christ. And we say in our heart, we want to be the full stature of Jesus. Lord, where we need to make adjustment, where our focus has got become ourselves rather than Jesus, just show us so that we can change. Whether our focus has got off of Jesus onto other things, whether it's church or ministry or people or hurts, or even just the circumstances and the storms around us. Would you just enable us to get our eyes back on Jesus? And Lord, I believe that there's an enlarging that's taking place in many here. There's something of you expanding us for the sake of the kingdom. something of your heart's desire for us as a church to impact nations. And Lord, we're not arrogant enough to think it's because of us, but it's because of you. And there's something you're doing. Jesus, you're on the move. And we're just grateful that you're on the move. And we just simply humble ourselves before you. Say, here am I send me send me with the message of the gospel to my family to my community to my city to my nation and to the nations of the earth as you choose we just simply say here am I send me
Ah, 